coast. So have a seat here, Chaz. I want to kind of interview you. We're going to do like we did last week. Right. And uh, is your mic on? I think so. There we go. Yeah. And uh, I just want to, you to get to know Chaz and understand who he is. We need to get into the mind of the new missionaries that are going out because you know what? Life changes. 20 years ago, 25, 27, 30 years ago, when we sent out Paula and David as well as Ron and Shirley uh, out into the mission field, life was a certain way out there. And, you know, they were seasoned folks. And, and now, you know, as life goes, those guys are getting older and older and they're going to tap out pretty soon, you know. They don't get to live forever. None of us do. So now we need this whole new wave. We need a new army of missionaries that are going out to spread the gospel. Amen? So, Chaz, uh, first of all, I just want to thank you for coming. Thank you. It's for been a while me. since yeah. we've seen each other. It's been quite a while. Uh, he's been out of the country and all around, so it's really funny. He, he drove up yesterday, and we had quite yeah. a little reunion. Yeah. But I remember this just dates me. I'm starting to be old lady. I remember <laughs> when you were born. Wow. And I held you as a newborn oh, and boy. patted your little bottom and <laughs> sung songs to you, you know. And I was like, Oh my word! Now you're standing next to me. Yeah. I'm gonna send yeah. you out on the mission field. How yeah. cool is that? All the things I'm doing now with my daughter. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So um, you grew up down in Hood River. Uh, Hood River, the Dalles area, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. so Oregon. And yeah. uh, you were quite the skier growing up. I was, yeah. Mount Hood was uh, second home, mm -hmm, yeah, for sure. And you competed. I did, yeah. yeah. And then uh, disqualified my final race in state. You were disqualified? Yeah, yeah. Popped both skis off halfway down the run. Oh, Never man. Never finished. Yep. Shoot. You got to get back up. I know. Did you, did you go skiing after that? Yeah. Okay, yeah. you're back in the saddle. All right, well, you're not going to do a whole lot of skiing now. Nope. Uh, so after no high skiing. school, what did you do? Uh, after high school, I went to Cote d'Ivoire for the first time. I was, uh, was with World Venture for one year and did a program for college-age students. It was a a missionary immersion program to see what life on the field would look like long term. Uh, did that for a year. That's where I met my wife. Uh, but then after a year, instead of extending my my time of ministry, World Venture offered me a job at their home office in Denver. So I moved to Denver, and I've been down there for the last uh, almost seven years now. So explain to them what World Venture is. World Venture is a sending agency, a sending organization. They used to be known as the Conservative Baptist International. Um, they have 64, 65 different countries that they work in and have missionaries in, five, 600 missionaries all around the world. Uh, so they are the sending entity of all these families and individuals going out to preach the gospel. Isn't it fun to know that stuff is going on that you don't even know about? Yeah. And it's going on. Yeah. And you think you're like, like you're, what you know is all that's there. <laughs> It's but it's not. Yeah. It is not. Yeah. So 500, did you say? Yeah, five, 600 wow. missionaries. Mm -hmm. So if you, so how do you say it? Cote d'Ivoire. Cote d'Ivoire. Yeah, in English we'd say the Ivory Coast. Cote d'Ivoire. Cote d'Ivoire is the so. French name. So uh, the Ivory Coast is a French country. Yeah, yep. French colony. So yeah. they speak Fran French. Speak French is the national language, yep. And then there's uh, 72 different ethnic languages then spoken throughout the rest oh of the country. Oh, word. 72, <laughs> 72 languages. Yeah. I can barely speak English. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I would do. So you went and you, you met your wife. My wife and I, yeah, we were placed in the same city. Uh, so we saw each other a couple times a week and just became really good friends. Um, and we were working with different churches on the other side of uh, town from each other, but 
uh, would see each other whenever the team got together. So was it love at first sight? It was not love at first sight, oh. no. <laughs> She's not even here to tell her side of the story. <laughs> She's not, yeah, this is, uh, this is lucky for me. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to say? <laughs> no, I thought she was great when we first met, but it was, uh, you know, the opposites attract is really true. We were very, are very different. Um, so it's definitely the hand of God that's brought us together. Yeah. yeah. So that would tell me that she's probably really organized. Um, that's one way of putting it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not saying anything about this one over here, but <laughs> she, um, so she, uh, so you met over there and mm-hmm. then you came home here. Did you get engaged over there? No, so I actually wound up in Denver for work and then separately, she was heading to Denver for uh, her master's degree at Denver Seminary. Okay. And so we had been staying in touch, but you know, there was, nothing really happening. We were just staying in touch. And then she said, hey, I'm coming to Denver. And I'm going, hmm, I'm in Denver. Wow, this is interesting. And uh, the rest is history, Did as they say. Did you have a date? Did you want a date? Um, the, actually, the, the first date we went on, technically, was she, she did two years of service in Cote d'Ivoire. Uh, so I went back to visit her right near the tail end of her second year. And we went out for lunch. And that was your first date? That was our first date. Because usually, you know, kids this age, they don't date. They That's hang true. out. That's true. That's very true. You know, true. what is the deal? So you did have a date. We had a lunch We could date. find out yep. about the first kiss, but we won't go there. No. <laughs> um, so then you, you, where did you propose? I proposed out in Pennsylvania, oh. where, where she's from. Pennsylvania. Now we're in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So uh, then you got married. You got married in Denver. We came mm-hmm. to the wedding, and that yep. was really fun. Yeah. And five years ago. Five years ago. Yeah. And then... And then I've been working at World Venture, doing various roles at the office there, uh, helping send missionaries out and support them all long term. My wife went to Denver Seminary, got her master's in counseling, and then has been working to get her counseling license with the state of Colorado. Uh, I went to Bible school online, and then we decided that we wanted to start trying to have a, a child. And uh, three months ago, she entered the world. Yay, Pretty wild. Adeline. Yeah. And then, so when did you guys decide that you were going to actually return to the mission field? Because it sounds like you were settling into a pretty good situation here in America. Sure, sure. Uh, yes, our life in Denver has been uh, very comfortable. We've been very thankful for that. Uh, but long before we got together, both of us felt the call to return overseas to work specifically with unreached people groups, uh, those people groups that are complete zeros, you know, 100% something else, 0% Christian. Um, And so when we got married, we both knew that we wanted to return eventually, and that's why we were doing the schooling that we were doing and the training, the preparation that we were doing in Denver was eventually to return to the the field. But there were were definitely seasons of wrestling with God, fighting with God, saying, no, hands down, we're not going to go back, looking at other countries, trying to figure out, is there a way we can weasel out of this? I mean, it was was a roller coaster the last um, seven years in, in Denver, yeah, together. So when did you finally say okay? Uh, we finally said okay, actually, I think it was around two years ago. We, we had dinner with a, a young couple with kids themselves who had been in Cote d'Ivoire uh, only for six months. They had spent three years preparing and, and so getting their support raised to move to Cote d'Ivoire, and six months in, their little girl got sick, and they had to evacuate and leave, and she almost died. God saved her life. It's an incredible story, and they were back in Denver doing some counseling and debriefing with the mission, um, trying to figure out what their next step looked like, and they sat at, uh, at the dinner table with us, and I'll never forget Justin, the husband. He looked me in the eye, and he said, we 
need you in Cote d'Ivoire. I know that you've got all the reasons in the world to not go back, but we need you there. There aren't enough workers. And something about that just penetrated in my heart, and it was like God speaking through him, going, I told you so. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. So that, that dinner, that was the turning point. Awesome. Yeah. So and it, it is quite a step of faith because they are bringing now their little baby yeah. there. Yeah. So that child that ha had the medical difficulty, she was six, how old was she at that time? Uh, she was a year. She was a year mm -hmm. when she had a trouble, yeah. troublesome spot. So you have a little three-month-old. Yeah. So now you've been really busy raising support. Mm -hmm. You're at 70%, 70 at this point. Yeah, you can't go out monthly. on the field until it's 100. Yeah. And then the goal from here is that you will go to France and learn French. Yeah, January, we're going to head over to language school on the outskirts of Paris. There's a Christian language school for missionaries. Um, and our, our French right now is at a level two by a uh, certain scale. Anybody I guess. speak French in the house? Anybody? Look at a you. Of hands. There we okay, go. so okay. come up and talk to him, test we, him out, see yeah, if he's got yeah, it. Yeah, so okay. we're at a level two, and we have to be at a level four before we are allowed to uh, head down to Cote d'Ivoire. Okay. So hopefully, one school year will get us up to that level. So level four. And then when you arrive, yeah. what do you have to do? Then once we get there, we have to spend two years, or it should take about two years, to learn Jula, which is the language of the Jula people group that we'll be working with. So he's got a lot of learning to go. Yeah. And you'll be working with them, though, even as you're working on the yes, language. Yes, there will be Julas teaching us their yeah. language. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, interesting, huh? Are you excited for the life that's ahead for this young man? Yes. Okay, well, he's going to share the word with us, and I'm going to step aside, and my little nephew's going to preach. <laughs> All right. So he's going to go for it. Give Good him deal. a hand. Thank you. You know, I always, I always find it funny when the speaker thanks the audience for having them, because you're all sitting there thinking, well, I didn't have anything to do with this. Yeah, so I guess you're welcome, right? So thank you for having, and I just, let me just say, I'm, ex I'm extremely um, humbled, I'm honored, I'm privileged to share with you this morning what God is doing in Cote d'Ivoire, because he is at work right now among the Jula people, among other people groups, amen? So uh, let's see if we have, uh, our first slide is a map I want to show you here. There we go. So this is West Africa. If you're not familiar with it, you see Cote d'Ivoire there um, is mostly covered by this red overlay. The little white star you see is approximately uh, where we will be living. And then the Jula people uh, extend over then into Guinea, Mali, Burkina Faso, and a little bit into Ghana. So they are a huge people group. Uh, there are 5 million or so Jula people throughout West Africa. Uh, they're 100% Muslim. Uh, they're classified as unreached, meaning that there is not yet an indigenous community of Jesus followers uh, with adequate numbers or resources to evangelize this people group without outside assistance. So when you think about unreached people groups, these days we're not really talking about those groups out in the jungle having never seen or heard of you know, the civilized world. We're talking about a missiological term, meaning they still need outside assistance. They need people from America, from South America, from Europe, uh, Asia, to, to go to them with the good news of Jesus. Uh, the Jula are also among the top 10 fastest growing unreached people groups in the world. So the need is great. Uh, in the worldview of a, of a Jula person, 
Their religious and their, their ethnic identity is one and the same. They're interwoven. There's no separation. To be a Jula person is to be a Muslim. They're, it's one and the same. You need to understand that for the rest of this to make sense. Uh, so despite six decades or so of missionary work in Cote d'Ivoire specifically, uh, here we are in 2018, and the Jula remain 100% Muslim. Let me go to the next slide. Let me see the faces here of some Jula folks. Uh, for the past three years, though, one missionary couple has been working in a very large Jula village up north near where we will be living in the future, uh, doing community development projects, farming, raising chickens and rabbits to create jobs for locals, uh, trying to make disciples of Jesus through Bible studies and small uh, gatherings, Sunday morning gatherings on the outskirts of town. And just two months ago, we received this email from uh, the husband of the couple. Last week, a 30-year-old Jula man became a Christian. Let me just stop right there and say amen. Amen. When his family found out, he underwent fierce persecution, financial and moral pressure, insults and violence against him. Then his family decided to take his wife and his six-month-old son from him. At our Sunday service, we wept with him, and we prayed for him with all of our heart. We are now the only family that he has. Our farm has given him work and thus enables him to make ends meet. I tried to speak to his family, but they refused to talk to me. This is a very tense situation. We are praying hard that he will be able to reunite with his wife and son. At present, however, the situation seems to be getting worse. All sorts of lies and slander are being spread around. It is said that I, Benjamin, am stealing people from their family and brainwashing them with Jesus. It is rumored that I have given people money to become Christians and that we told this young Jula man to give up his wife and child so as to marry a Christian. Of course, we are doing the exact opposite and are trying to get the family back together. But we recognize that it is the enemy of our souls who is doing his best to stir up trouble and blacken our testimony. We are so impressed with this young man's faith. He is standing firm despite all that has happened. One week after his conversion, one week, he had listened through the whole audio Bible since he cannot read. He is even more desirous to get to know Jesus than before. The Holy Spirit is at work. We have the impression of seeing a plant grow before our very eyes. He has told his family they could hurt him, and they could take away all of his earthly possessions, but that he has found salvation. Despite all of their insults, he proclaimed the gospel to them with full assurance. Amen. So that, that story leaves me with two questions, and that's happening right now. That's, that's not a, a made-up story. This young Jula man, right now, still has not been reunited with his wife and his son, and is living on the outskirts of town for his safety. So let me just ask two specific questions from this story. What compelled this young man to leave Islam as a Jula, knowing that he would suffer the consequences? Because I assure you, he knew there would be consequences. Jula's don't leave Islam. 
And second question, how is it that this man can be content with losing everything, especially his wife and his child? I'm not saying he's happy, right? But there's a contentment that he has expressed to the local missionaries. How is that possible? I'm a new father, like we mentioned, with a three-month-old daughter. And I tell you what, I cannot imagine what this young man is going through. The heartbreak, absolutely physical heartbreak that he must be feeling, being separated from his wife and his child. So how on earth then can he go and stand before his family, before the very people that have taken away his daughter and his wife and boldly proclaim to them that he has found salvation? How is that possible? Right now, you might be thinking, well, easy. The answer is Jesus. Case closed, right? We can all, we can all go home? Maybe, yes. I'll tell you later. Uh, but I wanna, but let's, let's frame this a different way, right? Because I, I really, I really want to see, I, I want you to see for yourself to step into his shoes to see how powerful and beautiful the gospel message is. Imagine for a moment that you were being introduced to a different religion, by a missionary who had come here to Washington from halfway around the world. And he says to you, hey, you know, Christianity is not the whole truth. I've got something better that you need to look into. But you know that if you take this seriously, if you consider leaving Christianity, you know that you're going to lose your family. Think about that for a moment. Losing your family. Your job, of course, is a goner. You can't work there anymore. Uh, as is your house. You're not going to have any place to live. Uh, all your friends, all your belongings, your 401k, your car sitting out in the parking lot, the list goes on and on. You will be left with nothing if you decide to leave. So what do you say? Are you in? Yeah? Who's with me? No? Of course not. It's, it's crazy, right? Put yourself in the shoes of a Muslim. It's craziness to consider leaving and face those consequences. We would never leave Christianity. We follow Jesus, and we know that he is the, the truth, the, the, the way. Why would we ever turn our back on him? But you see, this is how Muslims think. This is how Jula's think. We follow the prophet Muhammad, they say. Why would we ever consider turning our backs on him? Also consider that Muslim families and communities in Cote d'Ivoire, all over the world really, uh, are incredibly tight-knit social and economic structures. They're very supportive. Uh, it, it's, an, it's a wildly foolish thought, honestly, to consider leaving all of that behind. So back to our two questions. What is it that compels a Jula man to leave Islam, a Jula to leave Islam, and how is it that this young Jula man can be content in losing everything? The answer to both of those questions, uh, I believe, is found in Matthew 13, verse 44. I think we have that. Here we go. This is one of the shortest, but I think most challenging parables of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Amen? Let me read that again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure 
that's hidden in a field. When a man found it, when he discovered this treasure, he hid it again, right, so that he could come back and get it, went and sold everything he had so that he could go buy the whole field so that he could take hold of that treasure in it. Amen? So two things here in this parable. There's a lot in the parable, really, but two things I want to point out. This is the answer to our questions. What made this young Jula man leave Islam and what makes him able to stand firm in the persecution that he is now experiencing is the fact that he has had his eyes opened by the Spirit of God to the kingdom. Amen? He has seen Jesus. He's listened to the scriptures and he has heard and seen Jesus and he is giving up everything so that he might take hold of that treasure. His spiritual eyes, which were once blinded so that he was content to live in the darkness, have been opened and he has found the treasure of the gospel hidden in a field and now he's forsaking everything that he might possess that which will satisfy him eternally. Amen? The second thing that I want to point out from this parable uh, is a challenge for us here in this room today. It's a challenge to myself, my own heart. Uh, could we put that back up? Thanks. Have you sold all that you have so that you can buy this field? Have I given up, have you given up all that is holding you back from taking hold of the greatest possession that you could ever have? That is a tough question. That is the question that this begs. What idols, what comforts, what things are you still clinging to? Are you clinging to this morning in your heart, in your soul, in your life that are keeping you from fully experiencing the soul-satisfying kingdom of God. Think about that. What idols, what comforts? You see, the gospel is so powerful and so beautiful that it can overcome all barriers, all potential for loss and for suffering and for pain. And once you have grasped the magnitude of the gift of salvation that you have received, and the fact that you don't deserve it, I don't deserve it, but it is only by God's grace that we have been saved through faith. Once you grasp that, the magnitude of that, you have no choice. You have no choice other than to say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you take me. Amen? That's a hard thing to say, though. I know. I'm, I, I'm with you. It's a hard thing to say. But that is what he asks of us to say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you lead me. When Jesus called out to the young men who would become his disciples, saying, follow me, he was calling them to lose everything that they had ever known in exchange for knowing him. Think about that. Leave everything behind and follow me. Luke 9, 23, 26, I believe that we have that as well. <clears throat> then he said to them, 
Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Our culture, both secular and Christian, has long twisted the message of Christianity to say, follow Jesus and here's what you'll get for only three easy payments. You'll be blessed, you'll be happy, you'll be successful, you'll be rich, on and on and on and on and on. But following Jesus was never meant to be a look what I'm going to get out of this equation. Never meant to be. Following Jesus for those first disciples meant leaving family behind, losing their jobs, living on the road, surviving off the generosity of others, and of course, eventually dying for their faith. Does that sound familiar? Because that's what this young Jula man is experiencing right now as we sit here. While this may not be our reality here in the States, this is the reality for billions of people in the world today when faced with the decision to follow Jesus. And it is only the Spirit of God himself, an act of God, that, that lets a man step into that with boldness, with peace, with assurance. Because otherwise, to the world, it's craziness. It's absolute insanity to make that decision. Let's look at the example of, uh, of Paul, one of the most well-known followers of Jesus and proclaimers of the gospel in the first century. Philippians 3, uh, verse 8 and 9. Paul writes, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Let me remind you where Paul was writing this from. <laughs> Paul was in jail when he wrote this, I don't know if my first reaction uh, sitting in a jail cell, especially as dingy as the ones probably were in the first century, would be, ah, you know what, I got Jesus, I'm good. But that's what he's saying here, right? That's what he's saying here. Paul says, as long as I know Jesus, I have lost everything, and it's okay. I have all that I need. I have all that I need. You know, it was beautiful in worship, and uh, uh, a word that Pastor Dwayne shared, uh, the question is, Jesus sufficient, right? Jesus is enough. God is enough, right? I'm, oh, it's just, it's so beautiful. That was, a, that was a, a really special moment for me. That was, uh, I, I'm at a loss for words, really. Uh, yeah, the, this young Jula man, like Paul, he has truly seen the beauty of the gospel, with clear eyes that have been opened by the Spirit. He has understood for himself that his greatest reward for following Jesus in this life is Jesus himself. Knowing Jesus as his Lord and Savior and King, that's his greatest reward. 
So let me ask you, let me ask myself, do we find our ultimate peace and contentment in Jesus today? If you lost everything right now, everything, would you be able to say, I'm good. I have everything I need because I have Jesus. I know Jesus. Take it all. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Because that's what that means. Or are you just a casual observer? Because there's a big difference there, and I wrestle with that a lot. Am I a casual observer of Jesus, or am I truly a disciple? Here's the thing. Jesus wants your whole heart. He wants your whole being, mind, soul, everything. He wants it all. He gets no enjoyment out of half-hearted devotion. But full-hearted devotion, this is what it looks like. I have forsaken everything. I've sold everything so that I can take possession of that field so that I can get the treasure that's buried in it. Amen? So, I'm not sure how I'm doing on time here. I'll, uh, I'll wrap this up. It is only by an act of God, the Spirit of God working, that Jula's will be able to see the truth of the gospel and decide to leave Islam, follow Jesus, and face the consequences with peace and boldness. And that is what my wife and I, and now our daughter, hope to be part of in Cote d'Ivoire when we return long-term. For the past seven years, as we discussed earlier, uh, we have felt a, a distinct leading and calling to go into ministry to those unreached people groups, those, those ethnic groups who have not yet, in 2018, had a chance to ever even hear the gospel message. And there are many of those groups still out there today. I didn't realize that. There are, there are many, uh, more than you want to really uh, come to terms with. And they're usually that way for a reason. Uh, they're hostile to outsiders. They're geographically difficult to get to or to live among. They have extremely challenging languages, uh, often still unwritten. Uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, but, and this is the most important but, if we could have that last slide up with the picture. Here we go. I'm not sure if you can uh, see that pretty well. But we have the most amazing, beautiful assurance straight from God's word. Revelation 7, 9. It's a little tiny there, so I'll read it. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. You guys, someday there's going to be Jula's worshiping with us in the throne room. Amen? It's going to happen. It is happening. This young man, it is happening. These barriers will not hold Jesus back. The gospel is strong enough to break through the darkness. Amen? It's happening. And it's going to keep happening. It's going to be hard work. It is tough soil. But it's nothing for the power and the beauty of the gospel. Jesus goes, got it. No problem. Nothing. Got it. Yep. It's all in his timing, but it is going to happen. Someday you will meet 
Jula, someday, hopefully, I hope you meet this 30-year-old man. I pray that he perseveres, that he keeps going, and you get to meet him and say, hi, brother. Amen? So this, this is our great assurance as a young family, as new missionaries, as parents of a three-month-old, as those stepping back into a country that has had three civil wars in the last 15 years, and there might be another one in 2020 when the presidential elections happen again. We don't know. This is our great assurance, though, that whatever happens, God's got this. He is at work, and we just get to be part of that. That's that's crazy, right? That's, that's crazy. That's, that, I think, I'm going to go off script here for a minute. That, I think, is the most beautiful thing about God's mission is that he invites every single one of us into it wherever we are. You don't have to go to Cote d'Ivoire to be a disciple of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. You don't have to. That's just where he's called us to. That's the beautiful thing, though. Every single one of you get to participate in God's mission to redeem and reconcile a people for himself. Amen? That is a beautiful thing. Think about the privilege that that is. Jesus goes, yeah, you're part of this. You're part of this. You're part of this. That just, uh, that just blows my mind. So uh, let me wrap this up here. I got to find where I was in my notes. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, so places in Cote d'Ivoire among the Jula, that's the only way that's going to happen. It's by the power of the Spirit, uh, opening the eyes of the blind. So uh, I'd like to just close uh, by praying for uh, the Jula. I'd like to pray for this young man right now. Uh, so please pray with me. Father, you are, uh, you are so good. You're such a good father, and you, uh, you have already won. You've already won, Jesus. Uh, the battle continues raging, but you have already won, and we're so privileged. We're so thankful that we get to be part of that. We're down here in the trenches uh, battling, that we're, we're on your side, Jesus, that we have your spirit working in us to make disciples of Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. Father, we ask by your spirit that you would continue calling men and women and children out of the darkness, out of the enslavement, enslavement that they are part of in, in Cote d'Ivoire, the, the, the folk Islam, the witchcraft, animism, everything that entraps and enslaves them. Father, please, we ask that you would call men and women out by your spirit. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be part of your work. Lord, we want many, we want multitudes to see Jesus, to find their greatest peace and joy and assurance simply in knowing him, that they might be able to say, I have lost everything, and yet I have gained the only thing that matters. In your strong, powerful, glorious, beautiful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Chaz, stay up here. I don't know about you, but my heart is moved. God is not done with this world. He is not done with the nations, and he is doing new things constantly. And I would like to ask if my personal family, Sterling, Jasmine, Dwayne, come on up here. This is a moment. This is a moment. If you don't mind, let me just step back just to our, our little family here, because this is truly a moment. This is a moment. We are pledging ourselves to be behind our blood here. But I would hope that every single one of you would keep your minds broadly opened 
that you would not get so hunkered down in your nine to five day that we would all begin once again just to have our hearts opened and our minds renewed and our eyes to be one that would see the world all the way around. That you would have such a breakthrough in your own personal issues and finances that you can become a generous soul, that we can be a part of what God's doing around the world. I want us to pray over this young man. I wish, I wish, I wish his wife was here and his baby. I can't go, but they're gonna go. They're gonna be doing things I can't do. They're gonna be facing things. They're gonna be, I get to come here where it's nice and cushy and fun and you all come and make me feel good and you hug me. He's gonna go into a land where he is going to be reviled. It's gonna be hard soil. It's going to be dark. I want his forehead to be like flint, that he can go up against the darkest of darkest of darkest and the light inside of him and his wife will shine and will overpower every evil thing in that nation. Father, just reach your hand now. You know, we prayed for the Jula people. That's cool, but let's pray for these people. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I pray over my dear, sweet nephew, Lord God, I thank you right now that the call has gone into the next generation. Hallelujah. It's not going to end when I get old and die. There's new coming forth. And Lord God, I just pray over you. I pray your finances come in perfectly and quickly. I pray that your minds are open to the language and that you will learn it quickly. I pray that you will be healed of every disease and sickness and covered and protected. I pray for your lovely wife, that she will find friends and that she will find her life in you. And I pray for this little baby girl that she will grow up strong in you, oh Father God. I pray that every sickness, every disease, every darkness, every plan of the enemy is going to be ruined off of you in Jesus' name. And that you will see your heart's desire come to pass. And that many, many, many will come to Christ in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We love you. We love you. We love you. Amen. Amen. This has been a moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo, okay. Sorry about that. Chaz is going to be in the back. And he's got cards. They're really cool cards. Picture of him and his wife and his baby. And I want you to grab one on the way out. One per family. He didn't bring enough for the whole church. One per family. And he's also got information as to how to support him individually. And it is my goal, people of God, that as you consider your missions pledge, that we would be able to include him and his family in our church's mission, monthly giving. I want you to take that mission pledge card. Uh, ushers, come forward, yes. They're gonna pass out envelopes right now. And we're gonna take just a moment, pass those cards down. Next week, once again, just to make it very clear, next week we're going to be turning in our pledge cards. It's going to be an amazing Sunday. Do not miss next Sunday. Be considering throughout the week, what can you give? Can you get, I, you know, my goal for this is 100% participation. That's all I ask. 
is that every soul sitting here would have the goal to have 100, can you imagine 100% participation in a church giving into missions? And that means give a dollar, give, I don't know, give a month, something a month, 100% participation. I'm not going to guilt you into thousands of dollars, but whatever God's calling you to do. And next week, we're going to fill that card out and we're going to put it down. We're going to add them up, and I'm going to let you know when we leave, by the time we leave next Sunday, what our what we're going to do as a church is going to be amazing. But right now, we're going to turn our face just a little bit towards our projects. Marcy, where are you? Where are you, Marcy? Come on up here, Marcy. Marcy is my helper, so turn around and show everybody your cute face. She helps me with missions, so she's my go-to, and, and we're working together on so much. So you're going to see and hear from Marcy a lot. She's going to help me reveal. We're going to start at that end because we started down here. The water project, we're going to make a difference with. The next project we're going to hit. Wait a minute, i got to... The Boda Boda, $1,500. He's got to get away. He has to have a way to get women who are in labor that is going bad he has to be able to get them 60 kilometers to the hospital it's either that or he has to call on his cell phone that rarely has service and they have to send a huge taxi from that city drive it out get her shove her in with 15 other people chickens and goats and transport her back which would you prefer pregnant, nine months in hard labor, and it's not going well, huh? I think I want to vote about $1,500 to make that happen. $3,000 total will fund Paula and David to make four trips in 2018 and 19 into Malaysia, into Burma, and into every place they want to go where there are pastors begging him. In fact, pastors were begging him two weeks ago, please come, please come. He went out there. They had never heard of the Holy Ghost. He preached, taught them for two days on it, and every single one of them got filled with the Holy Spirit. How can they know unless they are sent and can go? I don't want them to say no to any trip. And then as you read in your booklet, there's Rose. She's a young gal in uh, the Chama Libwe school and an orphanage. She was found out in the bush. She was being abused. She was left. She was, t she, she was not going to have anything. And Ron and Shirley DeVore with Feed His Lambs program went out there and took her from her squalor and from her mess, took her into the orphanage, raised her. She's been going through school. She has been making the highest marks like you wouldn't believe. Her greatest goal now is to go to university, become a teacher, and come back and teach and lead this school. She has, been, she has been accepted in the highest university that Uganda has, and she needs $1,400 to be able to enroll and get going on her first year. Can we do that? I want you right now, just get out your wallet, get out your purse. If you give 50 cents, I don't care. If you give a dollar, cool. If you give 20, but 100% participation. We're gonna make a change. So we asked last week for $6,000 for, for this water. So I've had a lot of people talking to me about it. Should we find out how much we gave? The generous souls of this church. So let's go ahead and start right here. So every jar 
is $100 that you gave of clear water. Keep going. They get to drink clear water, people. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. All of it. I said, Justice, we did it. And then I sat there and waited for him to respond. And nothing. I'm like, Justice, Justice. The next day, don't you understand? We did it. We're going to get water. Nothing. Silence. It took him until Friday. He did not have any internet. And then all of a sudden he comes on. Are you kidding me? I said, how soon are you going to get started? He said, as soon as that money is in my hand. And I get it to them. So Joel Beatty, where are you? He's going to Uganda in two weeks the 25th he has to have it by the 30th so he's going to be carrying all that money slapping it down they're going to have clean water thank you thank you new horizon thank you jesus so now we get to move on that was not my plan i thought it was going to take us three weeks i didn't have an idea so now we've got all these other projects lined up are you ready to give hallelujah now listen, when you come up, we're going to fill up the jerry cans again. When you come up with your finance, your gift, to knock some more of these projects out, I want you to know that you are making the biggest difference on the planet. You, 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 yes, you are making the biggest difference. And as Chaz was sharing, and my heart was just rent, Father, in Jesus' name, take me, take me, take me, take all of me. So when you put your finance in, I want you to stay up here. And I want you to just throw your hands into the heavens and give him all of you. That you are willing, you are willing, that you want to be sent. You want to be a part of something greater than what you can just bang out on a nine-to-five day. And let the Holy Spirit just saturate you in Jesus' name. Amen? All right, band, what you got for us? You got something good? What song is that? I'm trying to figure out what the chord progression is. Okay, let's go. Can we go to the bridge? I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Okay, bridge or whatever you want to do. Just do whatever you want. Come on up here. And let's just see what the Lord can do. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You are so good to us.